You look at the uh, if you look at the British Green Insanity Tour, it'll show you a lot of things that they intend to do all over the place. Remember, I said that the GS Plumbing Talk Line is one eight hundred nine zero five zero nine eight nine. The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is seven one three zero seven. You'll you'll get the uh, you'll see uh, all the lunatics trying to do away with fertilizer and steel and sheep. As they chant, eat more turnips. But there's lots of fodder to run on. But this brings us to the C40 Climate Leadership Group. Chaired by London Mayor Sadiq Khan, the little diminutive gnome that's out there and never seen a social cause that he can't just get behind. He is recommending various consumption interventions. These are interventions because you don't know how to do this for yourself, so don't worry, they'll do it for you. That means you're going to have zero-meter dairy by 2030, so you won't have to worry about certain things. You're not going to buy no more than three items of clothing per year. So you look at that and you say, and this is just on Twitter, this is what they're putting out there. So another climate group like they aren't a dime a dozen. But then if you look really deep into this, you begin to it begins to get a little worrisome. It's like the children of the World Economic Forum supervillains started their own little, you know, the, like the Teen Titans, you know, their own little mini club. The the uh, what do they what do they call them? The uh, the anyway, the kids, all in the name they they're trying to ruin everybody's life in the name of the boiling planet, on a local vice global level. So they've gotten to work because they can. They're mayors of cities, mayor of one hundred of the most important cities on the planet. They formed their own little cabal to control their citizens on the name of Gaia. So, we get this from them. C40 is a global network of nearly 100 mayors of the world's leading cities that are united in action to confront the climate crisis. And they put out all of their little presentations. It's very slick. Now, every just about every major city in the United States is signed on as part of the cabal. And, of course, they have because they're blue, 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 blue. And they love nothing more than exercising iron-fisted control over every aspect of their residents' lives, consummate nanny staters that they are. Which, now, remember where we started today. Remember where we started today. They were going to get out there, and, you know, we had... We had President Paula Pot say, no more guns, right? Well, is there a difference between her saying that and these C-40 mayors going, no more meat, no more cars, no more dairy, no more anything, no more moving? And these cities that have signed on to it, they have to maintain all these things in order to stay in good standing. So they have to get out there and they have to be aligned with the 1.5 degree centigrade ambition of the Paris Agreement, which is based on nothing because there is no average temperature. Then they have to deliver. They have to deliver and they have to get to things by they have to uh, they have to increase resilience and equitable outcomes and they have to have the overall emissions by 2030. They have to be innovative. They have to lead all these other things. Now, the problem in the United States here is that most of these cities that are signed on to the C40 
Kabul, if you will. They're also sanctuary cities. They're also cities that don't allow guns. They're also cities that are trying to put consumption taxes in place. They're also cities that are taxing people beyond belief. They're also cities where drugs have been... De yeah, they got a lot of problems. They're not... I, I don't know if they're able to just transition at this moment. Now, they're trying to. In London, for example, in London, they are trying to, uh, you know, they've, they've outlawed knives. <laughs> I don't know how you cut a steak now. They, they've got all the think tanks. They're trying to race to net zero. They want to have the 15-minute city. That's a, that is a hardcore principle. Now, I don't mind the 15-minute city. I think the 15-minute city in and of itself is a not a bad thing. It would reduce congestion in certain cases. However, anytime you give a leftist anything, every time you give some little totalitarian something, well, whatever's within whatever borders that they control, they want to control it a lot. Like in Wales, they've decided to enforce arbitrary vehicular rules based on noise emissions. Katie Hopkins got on Twitter the other day. I love Katie Hopkins. She is funny. Gosh, she's funny. If unelected globalists like Klaus Schwab have their way, by 2030, private vehicle ownership will be outlawed. People will be confined to 15-minute cities, and your ability to travel will be determined by your social credit score. Now, one thing that the cities that have signed on to this stupidity have to do is they have to also finance and participate with us. And I don't know how they're going to, how is that going to be measured? Any city today that wants to half its emissions, where's the, where's the energy going to come from to keep lights on? And one of the things they, they're, they're out there looking at, they're like, well, you know, this consuming that you guys are all doing, it's like Ernest Hollis, you say, there's too much consuming going on out there. Um, they mean they're not going to allow too much of anything. So no meat, no dairy. This will be basically climate lockdowns. And the, the cities in the United States that have signed on to this, Austin, Texas, Boston, Chicago, Houston, Los Angeles, Miami, New Orleans, New York, Philadelphia, Phoenix, Portland, San Francisco, Washington, and Seattle. Go ahead. Wall yourselves off to us. Michael Bloomberg, by the way, is the president of the board. And what is it, what else does Michael Bloomberg want to do away with? Hmm? Whenever you look at a chart with progressive and ambitious goals concerning food consumption and the curbing of whatever metric that they determined was excessive, they don't expound on how you're meant to get to zero meter dairy. But the achievement levels are clearly laid out. It's just going to happen by mandate. The progressive target in 2030, 16 kilograms of meat per person per year. 90 kilograms dairy consumption. Two and a half, uh, 2.5 thousand calories per person per day. 
Reduce household waste by 50%. Avoid supply chain waste 50%. But all the other things that, you know, the meat, the dairy, they actually want zero. They want zero household food waste. Don't worry about protein. They've got the Soylent Green coming. No cows, lambs, or pork. All bingos back to bugs. Because we'll have the death, you know, we'll have the death panels going. And if you turn 71 years old and catch a cold, you're dead. We're going to kill you. If you're young and you catch, you get multiple sclerosis, you're dead. We're going to kill you. But you're going to go to feed the people. Soylent Green. Or you can either have Soylent Green or some a really nice a really nice uh, cricket fricassee <laughs> some fire ant pie perhaps i don't know they're, they're i mean they're spending a lot of money on this and uh this is the big brother world economic forum machine right down to who's funding the group because this is the interesting thing. All these really smart guys are funding this. George Soros, Google, the Clinton Foundation, the, the World Bank. Smart, but leftist. So that makes them totalitarian. This has eat the bugs plastered all over it. It's being imposed and compelled in American cities. And God knows Biden's trying to back them up. It's a plan. But I've started my own team right now. You are all welcome to join. It's called Team Hell No. Entry forms are at the door. You know what? I never thought I would talk about this, but right now they are experiencing gangsta rap in Sweden and everything that goes along with it. <laughs> this is News Talk 98.9 WORD. You know, I, I didn't see any of this when I watched the girl with the dragon tattoo. I didn't see any of this stuff happening at all. They didn't show it. They didn't show it. The GS Plumbing Talk line is one 800 905 The Common Sense Retirement Planning text line is 71307. Apparently, they have a gang problem in Sweden. Now, I thought the biggest issue they had in Sweden right now is that Volvo has decided to go fully electronic and not make any internal combustion cars, which means they'll be out of business soon. But I digress. Uh, the gangs in Sweden, which are mostly made up of foreigners, read that to be Islamics, are using guns and grenades to attack one another. Which, okay, my first question is, where do you find grenades? I mean, that's military hardware. Who's making, unless they're doing some sort of IED sort of thing. We get this from police chief Anders Thornburg. He said there recently have been murders and explosions on an unprecedented scale often from abroad, but he doesn't mention any nationalities. There have been several shootings in Sweden this week, four in the university's city of Uppsala, two of them fatal, two in Stockholm, where a 13-year-old lost his life. The death of the 13-year-old and two 14-year-olds were, this is sort of like a new low. And we get gang conflict in Sweden has claimed its youngest victim so far. A 13-year-old boy was found dead in the forest of, in the Swedish municipality of Haninge in, uh, on Monday. I don't know how to speak Swedish, so, uh, you know, 
I'm not getting it right, but uh, and we get this over the summer. Two 14-year-olds, Mohammed Sulaiman and Laith El Aziwi, were both found dead in the Stockholm region. They are believed to have resold pistols they'd been able to procure from the notorious Kurdish fox gang, led by Rawa Majid, also known as the Kurdish fox, who fled Sweden and is currently hiding in Turkey. The two teens were likely then killed by the gang. And the vast majority of those involved in gang crime, much like the Kurdish fox, came from migration backgrounds. <laughs> they just won't say it. A 2022 report claimed that 85% of the suspects involved in fatal shootings are, were either born abroad or at least had one foreign-born parent. Now, here's the thing. Young offenders there, where they will not be punished even if they're caught, so there's little incentive for them to stop. Now, they want to see that change. The Stockholm Police Commissioner, Karen Gottblad, wants to see a change. He has worked with youth in youth crime her entire career and said the age of young people who carried and fired guns was falling. Overall, crime among young people was going down, but there was a small group who had started getting involved in much more serious stuff. They're fighting about narcotics because it's worth a lot of money. There's a lot of cocaine from South America that comes directly to Sweden and then sold into Europe, and that's what holds the conflicts together. So just like here, all of this violence is all based on drugs. But here's the thing. This is the, this is the most interesting thing I've ever seen when you're looking at a criminal enterprise, ever. Now, remember, this is narcotics. This is a narcotics drug trade going on. It's going on primarily with Muslims. I'll say it. Which is not to say all Muslims get involved in this, but in, in, in this particular case, yes, this is the case. This has to do with how they launder their money. They're using the music streaming service in Spotify. We, uh, we get this. He said his gang began using Spotify for money laundering in 2019, around the time Swedish gangster rap became popular in the country and started winning music awards. We paid people who have done this for us systematically. So they take the money and they convert that to Bitcoin and then they use the cryptocurrency to pay people who sold fake streams on Spotify, which is a Swedish company. And they made sure that they end up at the top of the charts, adding that the fake streams also led to an uptick in real streams. An anonymous investigator working on gang crimes told the paper Svenska Dagbladat that Spotify has become a bank machine for the gangs. I find that fascinating. I find it this also equally fascinating now. For those of you who saw Casino Royale, the reimagined James Bond with Daniel with uh, Daniel Craig as James Bond, the bad guy was played by Mads Mikkelsen, and I love Mads Mikkelsen. This guy can play such a variety of characters, and he's completely politically incorrect. So they've made a movie called The Promised Land, which takes place in Denmark in 1755. And during a press conference, they're having a press conference, and a reporter asks about the diversity in the movie because there's no black people in the movie, even though it's set in Denmark in 1755. 
Mickelson saw this coming and he, he, he got out there and said, oh, here we go from the get-go. And, and what it's boiled down to is that, uh, see, some people that act, not all of them, but some people that act purely, they do it for either the process. Some of them are so involved in the process that they become producers or they become the uh, the director. Uh, they get in and, you know, they're out there setting up shots and writing things and do all these other things. They really like the process and they like the story. And these guys make a movie to tell a story to you, the end user. What he's referring to is how a lot of people are making movies now that are made for the critics or the peers in Hollywood so that they can virtue signal to each other. And the audience is just a, a speed bump in this. They're not important and they want to make money too. But I mean, that all comes down to telling a, a pretty decent story. Look at, look at, the, uh, look at the, the, the blowback that's happening with Rachel Ziegler. And the Snow White setup coming out of Disney, which Disney Disney can't sneeze right now without messing something up. They have taken my beloved Indiana Jones and turned him, turned that into some, some vehicle to virtue signal and all this other stuff. I I don't even know. I don't I don't know the plot of it. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what's supposed to happen. I know that instead of his son, who they had uh, Shia LaBeouf playing his son in the last one, which should have really been the last one because it was that bad. Um, now he's got a supposedly a daughter. And of course, she's like a boss chick. So Now, the diversity thing means that this movie will never be considered for a, an award. So what does that, what does that get us? If, 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 you know, if, you're, if you're out there, are you doing things for awards? I mean, I don't do this for an award. If an award is given for it, sure, I'll take it. But I, I mean, that is not why I say or talk about anything. Now, entertainment, which, you know, some of the things they do, like they'll take a story that's written for a Caucasian guy that's 45 years old, right? That's how the story's set. That's how the screenwriter said it, the, the, the author. Then, but they'll, they'll recast it for an Asian guy that's 62 just to check a box. You know, they, 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 you look at some films, and I mean, some films they do, uh, like with Asians, sometimes they get whitewashed where they use a Caucasian to play uh, an Asian character. So, but look at it this way. What if you had a movie that was set in Japan, but in the middle of the movie, as it's going through the city in Japan, you see the Empire State Building and the Eiffel Tower and all this other stuff. And uh, would you expect that to be called out? Or would that be architectural puritanism in a, in a movie? Would, you, would that should that be allowed? That, that's just one of those stupid things. Just one of those stupid things. Let's talk about what this thing in Albuquerque might have been. What I think it might have been. Just for the sake of, 
you know, speculation. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. All right, we're going to do some. We're, we're going to do a little civics class right quick, and then we're going to go into the whole Albuquerque thing. Uh, the GS Plumbing Talk Line is one eight hundred nine zero five zero nine eight nine. The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is seven one three zero seven. In the history of the United States, martial law has been imposed on various levels sixty eight times. For those of you who are worried about being placed under martial law. Martial law refers, and this is martial, M-A-R-T-I-A-L, not martial as in the U.S. martial. Martial itself, the word, means war. That's why they're called the martial arts. And uh, martial law indicates it control of a region or city or state or nation has been placed under the control of a military body. Both the U.S. President and the U.S. Congress have the power with certain constraints to impose martial law because they both can be in charge of the militia. In each state, the governor has uh, the power to impose martial law within the borders of the state. And it's been during various times like it was used in New Orleans during the Battle of New Orleans. Uh, the Great Chicago Fire of 1871, the 1906 San Francisco Earthquake, riots like the Omaha Race Riot of 1919, the 1920 Lexington Riots. So it's been used. The legal basis to this, and this is the very important part to remember. Okay, this is the very important part to remember. And let me give you some more examples. Uh, you know, the Illinois-Mormon War, Utah during the Utah War. You know, uh, after the Japanese attack, during the civil rights movement, that, that kind of thing. So normally when we see this kind of thing happening, we see civil violence going on. A lot of it. The martial law concept is tied to the habeas corpus or the right of habeas corpus, which is in essence the right to a hearing and trial on lawful imprisonment. Or, you know, the supervision of law enforcement by the judiciary. So, the ability to suspend habeas corpus is related to the imposition of martial law. And we get this. Section 9 of the Constitution. The privilege of the writ of habeas corpus shall not be suspended unless when in cases of rebellion or invasion, the public safety may require it. So here it is, you know, I, uh, you know, here it is, the, there are instances where they can do it and we have become accustomed to the new normal where a public safety emergency can be racism or a public safety emergency can be inflation or climate change or the pandemic. You know, during the Whiskey Rebellion in the South and during the Civil Rights Movement, you know, they suspended it. But they used the, this is when they used the military, but did not suspend habeas corpus. And deployment of troops does not mean that civil courts cannot function. 
So, you know, if you look back over time at why we have imposed martial law in various places, these are, these are, this is basically pitched combat or a, you know, a citywide disaster going on. It is not crime. Now, what's going to happen in some of these places? This is going to be one of these problems that repairs itself. Because before long, in these places, I mean, most of these places where we see these kind of things happening, where they would talk about doing something like this, um, all of the, quote, emergencies have been predicated by the policy of the people in power. So it will become, like I said, it will become, uh, you know, it'll become a self-repairing process in these cities. Now, the last time we had anything close to martial law here in the United States was the 2007 National Defense Authorization Act, also known as the John Warner National Defense Authorization Act. That was signed by George W. Bush. And it allocated funding for the armed forces, but gave the president the power to declare martial law and take command of the National Guard units of each state without the consent of state governors. So, in 2007, they decided to reverse this. And they decided to take away the new powers. The, you know, the U.S. president had new powers to use militaries for dis domestic disturbance, terrorism, insurrection, and even changed the name from the Insurrection Act to enforcement of the laws to restore public order so that was pulled back and the previous resurrection act or insurrection act was uh, restored and as of 2023 the insurrection act of 1807 still applies in limiting a president's ability to under title 10 to nationalize federal guard troop or national guard troops for for federal service See, there, there's been instances where they tried to snatch this on both sides. On both sides. Because when these people get a taste of power, it corrupts. I don't care which side you're, you're on. And before anybody gets out there and says, well, they need term limits. Well, we need to be the ones that make the term limits for them. The, the fact that they have money doesn't mean that they're a shoe-in. Money just buys advertising and pays for your staff. We can take them out. Now, this brings me back to the question we're going to talk about next. She knew that this was going to fail. And yet, Governor Polipot decided to pull a martial law type thing to see where it would go. Uh, it the Something much more extreme already had worked. The COVID pandemic lockdowns, that, it had already worked. She wanted to see if this would work. She, she, she had a lawyer telling a judge you should give it time to work. We'll get into that.
This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. What was this? Well, it was definitely something that wasn't coordinated. The uh, GS Plumbing Talk Line is one 800 The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is 71307. One of the things that happened here is that uh, Pola Pot here, she got out there and she did something that she did not coordinate with anybody. She didn't, you know. She didn't coordinate it with anybody. So all of these Democrats, Democrats, got out there and said, we can't support you on this. And we knew where this was going to go from the, from the get-go. We knew there was going to be injunctions aplenty. So while we're all smiling and snickering and yawning right now, While we're all sitting back and going, oh, New Mexico, did you see those guys? They, they did a protest with AR-15s on their shoulders. While we're doing all that stuff, it intrigues me. Because surely this governor knew what was going to happen with this, right? But she did it anyway. It makes you. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm being silly for the sake of the, uh, for the sake of the description. But let's say that she works for the reptilian overlords, and this was something that they wanted to see what would happen if she did it. And just like with COVID, the uh, the overlords who orchestrated the pandemic knew it would eventually be discovered that we funded the creation of it in a Wuhan lab. We learned that the masks and the social distancing and the lockdowns were all pointless and that the vaccines were either ineffective or dangerous or both. So why would you pursue this knowing what the outcome is going to be? Maybe the deep state lizards wanted to study the public response. Because now they know that unless you have a supporting cast willing to enforce this for you, it's going to go nowhere. Are they looking and formulating, because they're always playing the long game, are they looking for a way to totally straightjacket us? Because political power is the greatest pleasure in the world for those. And... Um, and the lust for power is a big motivator in their life. Now, bear in mind that in 1944, the United States Supreme Court in Korematsu versus United States approved the 1942 Japanese internment because of military necessity. And that made sense under the circumstances, if you believe the hysteria, like in the movie 1941 with John Belushi, right? But... Note that the Korematsu decision fires the lizard quest for an emergency sufficient to sweep aside the U.S. Constitution and all of its citizen protections in one shot. In 
It's alarming to know that 17 federal intelligence agencies have developed the technology to surveil us through our underwear. But why is it that 70 of them are armed with significant firepower? So, what could piggyback on Korematsu? Could it be martial law? When I, you know, I just talked about how you would impose this, right? So, if they can truly persuade the courts that January 6th was an insurrection, for example, right? Then a future fabrication of an insurrection requiring military intervention could begin to be plausible. And the biggest issue with martial law is that martial law is easier to impose in a small area. The bigger the area you try to gain control of, the harder it gets because now you're stretching your assets out. And even if you were to involve the federal military in this, you're still stretching them out. Because most of your military is in a combat support capacity. For all the Rambos that are in the military, they have about seven people taking care of them with, you know, first aid, fuel, food, that kind of thing. Burrits. So, all of these things, you know, as you look at the way their end game, when you're trying to figure out what their end game is, which always intrigues me, their end game is always intriguing because. In the end, if they get everything they want, they're just going to be presiding over a pile of rubble. Everybody's going to move out. They'll move to the freer parts of the United States, and that's the thing. This is the thing. The good thing is that all of these people that are leaving these places are not, as a lot of people fear, getting out there and saying, well, I'm going to leave here, and, uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to take my politics with me. I will, I will change the way I live. I will change the way they live. That's not actually what's happening. 22 hours from now, I will be back. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD, the voice of the Carolinas.